Hey, bike fans, this is the Between Two Wheels podcast, a cycling news and commentary show, and lately, interviews. I hope you've been enjoying our content. On today's show, we do an interview with policy insider, foreign cycling correspondent to our podcast, that is, and basic know-it-all, Dr. Jonathan Scriven. You may remember Dr. Scriven from our interview on episode 30 about living in France as an American. Please go check it out. As a disclaimer for this episode, about halfway through, we venture into politics. Eh, politics, that's right. If that's not your thing, just skip it when we get there and you'll know when. Also, I wanted to indicate that some of the comments made about a certain political leader <clears throat> might be a little off-putting to some of you. And to others, it'll be like a welcome dessert you've been waiting to eat after that long 100-mile bike ride. To me, our guest comments are just indicative of every single person that runs for office, and therefore I'm not offended. I hope you aren't as well. And now, on to the show with one of my favorite guests in person. When cat burglaries start, can mass murders be far behind? This reporter isn't saying that the burglar is an inhuman monster like the Wolfman, but he very well could be. So, Professor, would you say it's time for everyone to panic? Yes, I would, Kent. Hordes of panicky people seem to be evacuating the town for some unknown reason. Professor, without knowing precisely what the danger is, would you say it's time for our viewers to crack each other's heads open and feast on the doing side? Yes, I would, Kent. Welcome, Jonathan Scriven. How you doing? Welcome to the Between Two Wheels podcast. Thanks for joining me today. Happy to be here. This is my second time. Last time was without video. This is cool. I well, like last, it. Yeah, last time we did video. I mean, that's how we communicated, but we just didn't uh, didn't include it in the, oh, the that's process. Oh, right. that's right. That's right. Yeah. And you had a you had a hat on and you're under a bunk bed or something. I don't remember. You were in France. Something like that. I can't remember, but yeah, I was in France at the time. Yeah. Right, right. Did you hear the intro? No, I didn't. Oh, you didn't get to hear that. Okay. So you did not hear the intro. No. I, I saw I, just the, yeah, I didn't, I didn't hear anything. Okay, well, basically it was a little clip of the, um, and, and I'm disappointed now, I'm hoping that it's, it's going out to everyone in there. It's, it was a clip from The Simpsons where they're like, hey, is it time to panic? Doctor, we don't know what's going on. Is it time that we beat each other's skulls? And, and yes, and the doctor said, of course, it's time to panic. <laughs> Welcome, so first of it all. It might be that time. I, I think so. Between Two Wheels podcast, I've got Dr. Jonathan Scriven on here. He's maybe the tallest person I know. And um, it's also, hey, it's it's, Nancy Pelosi's birthday today, and I understand you are the fan club number one, Nancy Pelosi. Is, is that, this is why you're on False. the show. Is that correct? This is fake news. This is fake news on the podcast. <laughs> well, that's actually why I've got you on today, because, um, look, um, we have uh, in the cycling world, there's there's people that have their podcasts. They, they post great videos online. They'll do a breakdown of a bike race. And sometimes the strategy that they're professing is kind of suspect and, you know, someone will go in there and just kind of like, eh, it's not so right. And their fans just glom on and, you know, right. they're, they're dying fans and they're, they're going to protect whatever that person's saying. I don't have those kind of fans. Matter, okay. <laughs> matter of fact, okay. um, it's probably the opposite where um, they would probably like to pile on me. So I thought I would bring you on. We're going to talk a little bit of cycling, and then we're going to talk some of this COVID-19 and this coronavirus, because you have a, always a good perspective, and I thought we'd have some measured conversation here um, where my, my podcast fans are probably more in tune to what you're going to say than, than what I'm going to say, so we'll have a, okay. a good balance. How's that sound? Great. Sounds good. So first of all, why are you even on here? What's your, what's your credentials? Your doctor. Jonathan Scriven, which which to me is odd because I remember you doing your Ed Grimley impersonation, you know the the bell, the high waist pants. I, I can't call you doctor. Um, 
No, and you shouldn't by any means. I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't know. I've known you for basically my entire life, right. essentially my entire life. Right. I mean, I think, I, I mean, we grew up together starting in, in sort of grade school, but I think we knew each other even before that, before well, I moved away for a while. Cause I mean, our families have known each other forever, but anyway, yes. uh, yeah, it's been a long, a long time since I've known you. That's for sure. Right. So no, do not call me doctor under okay. any circumstances. Well, and, and so what kind of doctor are you? A medical doctor? Okay. Is that why you're on? No, here? absolutely not. So, so I, um, I'm a doctor of uh, international relations or in other words, I have a, I have a doctorate in an academic field. Uh, I got the doctorate in um, Geneva when I was living in Europe. So I went to a, a, to a school called the Geneva School of Diplomacy and International Relations. I studied international relations. My, my sort of, uh, specialty was uh, to look at the relationship between uh, politics and economics in terms of, mm. you know, why countries make economic decisions based on the political realities at the time. So that was sort of my focus. Uh, I was teaching in France at the time. I've now just moved like within the last couple of months, as you know, but others might not, of course won't, is that um, I'm now working at a university here in the Washington DC area where I'm in charge of, um, I'm the associate director of our honors college. And then I teach courses in uh, international relations and global studies. Okay, so you were on episode 30, and we talked about okay. you being over in France, living over there in Nice. So I thought first yeah. we would just talk a little bit about cycling, and okay. then, then I do want to get into the, the economics okay. and politics. I mean, that's sure. it seems to me that's kind of the, the driver right now, exactly what you're talking about. And absolutely, then, and then absolutely. We'll, we'll break through why you're wrong. Um, oh, did I say okay. that? No, okay, I'm, just, I'm okay. totally kidding. I'm ready, I'm I'm, ready for you. I, I'm totally kidding on that, because I do want I to have uh, – um, you are great about um, – kind of fact checking everybody online and you like to do that with the news media and you like to do it with political parties. So I, I thought that'd be good. I will throw some okay. some stuff out at you and you can, okay. you can debunk it and, and maybe okay. we can work, work our way through here and give some people good. some, uh, some entertainment. That's pretty much what okay. it is. But, but ben. you, you were in France, uh, you moved back recently. You want to talk to me before we get into the whole, um, maybe a little bit of cycling stuff that we do want to talk about. Um, getting back over here, and I know your daughter had some big issues with getting back. I don't know if she was in France so, with you. No, so so I'm sort of back. Um, my okay. wife and my youngest son are still in France. Uh, oh, okay. The plan, yeah, the plan all along was that we were going to sort of transition for a couple of months while my son finished school, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, those plans are now sort of up in the air, as yeah. as you know, because travel is such a big deal. But I got back here in January. Uh, I've been back and forth a couple of times. Um, you mentioned my daughter. She actually just got back a week ago. She was doing a sort of a humanitarian year abroad in Micronesia mm. on an island called Chuk and uh, basically caught one of the last flights out. That the, the organization that was helping her said, listen, we got to get you home. So she got home a week ago. So now I'm at my in-law's house with my twins Um and the five of us are here, but my wife and my youngest son are still living uh, in France. So it's a little bit complicated at the moment, but, you know, we're managing. We're doing all right. Okay. So, um, and, and getting your daughter, so your, your wife and your son are still there. What's the word right, right now in France? I mean, and how does it differ so, from us? And how does that relate to, um, and by the way, we're all talking coronavirus, COVID-19. COVID yeah. It's the 19. Um, 19. Right. Um, and how does that relate to uh, the comparisons with, you know, Italy, Spain, which are nearby and so, us? It's very interesting because, you know, for those of you who are following closely on the European side, the, the hotspots right now are Italy and Spain. Right. Now, that's a 
problem for France because France is located right in between Italy and Spain. But France has not seen the kind of numbers that, that their neighbors have. I mean, things are um, relatively bad there. I mean, they went to a full shutdown uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, my wife tells me, for, just to give your viewers uh, so, so an example of how it's a little bit different than here. In France, my wife has a form that she has to fill out that she has to take with her everywhere she goes and she has to tick off before she goes why she's out. You know, so you can put pretty much anything. You can say I'm going to the grocery store. Right. You can say I'm going to help a neighbor. But you have to have that piece of paper, which is a government document, with you at all times. I don't think we're seeing that yet here. I mean, I think a lot of our, you know, you're in California. You, right. you have sort of stricter laws than even we do here now. And I'm in Maryland at the moment. Um, so, so I don't know what it is for you. I mean, are you basically on your, is it the honor system or are there actually people out saying, listen, you can't be out? So um, there, from what I can tell, there are people saying you can't be out, but those are your Karen busybodies yelling right. at other people. Um, right. I've, I've taken it to, uh, so I'm, a, I'm an attorney. I've got my own law practice right. and um, I, I do a lot of stuff online anyway. Um, I don't have a lot of clients coming in. I'll, sometimes I'll do um, you know consultations over the phone. They come in, whatever. So I'm I've decided to just remove that and come and work from home. It's just better than going right. back and forth. Uh, and I go and on, I'll go on bike rides. And you know we can maybe talk about some of the, I you know people are like I, I saw the mate was it the mayor of Chicago said no no running no biking you know you're going to be arrested for these kind of things. So right. we're kind of we're still in an honor system and a lot of it is you know we're a big state. Um, how big, yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's much different patrolling this. Like I live right up in the foothills and, you know, I go on my bike and I'm out there and there's no, nobody. I mean, right. to me, that's same. We're not, this isn't a, a pandemic where the sun is going to infect me. Right. So, right. Uh, so that's, yeah, I guess honor system. Anyway, so go back. So she's got to show her papers. No. So in France, it's in France, you know, in Italy, it's much stricter than that. Yeah. I mean, there's some strict guidelines. I mean, there's fines if you are, if a policeman sees you outside and you can't explain, Hey, I'm going to and from, you know, for example, the, the grocery store. So my wife is not in that situation. She has a document with her, but she, you know, she goes to the store, but you know, like you described, and we can talk about this later when we get into some of the cycling stuff, I kind of live up in the foothills. So, so uh, I live in outside of Nice and, you know, we're sort of in the foothills and it's not quite, you know, like being in the city where it's a lot harder to get out. We have a, a lot of space. My, they get out and they throw a ball around. They right. shoot baskets. You know, they're basically, to be honest, probably in as safe a place as they could be in terms of catching the virus. Right. Because there's nobody around. And when they do want to make trips to the supermarket, they can do it with basically without seeing anybody or certainly without getting close to anybody. Okay. So it's a lot easier in sort of the rural areas. Not that we're rural, but we're a good sort of, 15 kilometers outside of the main city. So it's a lot easier for her than it would be if she lived, or if, if we'd lived right in the city. Right, right, right. And, and, and I mean, somewhat out here, I mean, the kids are, you know, playing, I have four. So you've got, I know. now, now yeah. I would just I'd say, you know, we're probably in a very similar situation. You know, I, I, some of the things I'm not even thinking about, well, my daughter is actually babysitting for a family. And so she just drives over there to their house because they are essential workers and they're, they've got to, they've got to do the work. So right. she's baby and it's, that's her only real contact. Um, and she's back and forth with them. But, um, our kids are old enough where I'm not even assisting in school. Um, I mean, in, right. on, in general, right. I mean, you, same with you, you know, I got college through well eighth grade. So, 
Uh, right. But there's a lot of families that, let's say they're an essential worker. I've got you know, a lot of clients that are uh, nurses. Well, if you got to take care of your kids and you can't really have babysitting, I mean, now we're in a world of hurt. Uh, that's the part that I, like you, don't have firsthand knowledge of. Right. And I can't imagine what it's like. I mean, I've got, so my wife, so my son is in what is the equivalent of ninth grade. So that's basically okay. like, like the youngest. And yeah, they're doing classes online, but he doesn't necessarily need help. This is not like a second grader. Right. And so, you know, I have no comprehension of what's that, what that is like. And I can't even imagine what people are going with, going through. I mean, I've got twins here who are in college. Yeah. They haven't, they're on spring break technically, so they haven't even started school. And I'm basically so free Florida? to do what I need to do. <laughs> no, they're not headed to Florida. But you know, this is this is the reality that a lot of people have that, right. that I don't have experience yeah. with and, and you don't. So in, in, in many ways, you know, we're super lucky. Yeah. Super yeah. lucky. Yeah, and super. I can't imagine what some people are going through. Right. And and we're gonna get uh, deviated on this thing all day long. But um what's uh it's for me, I, I, you know, if I was going to have to take my kids on uh, to, you know, to help them with their homework or whatever, for us, it's it's not. My my wife's got an English major. I've got math and engineering. We've got it covered. I mean, it's really, you know, they come to us all the time for those kind of things if they even need it. Um, so, well, look, I'm privileged. We're lucky. Yes, um, but and I, I feel for those other ones out there. So your son's Absolutely. doing fine. Um, but what's the plan then for your wife? At some point, is this? Your new so, uh, rea- reality, or is she coming well, home? So, so, well, so here's news? the thing. Uh, here, here's the thing. Um, they're they're fine where they are in terms of safety. Yeah. Obviously, okay. it's better to be together. But you know, we were apart anyway because the the plan originally was they would come probably middle of next month. Okay. After my son finishes, like a little bit more of the school system there. But now, to be honest with you. My my big worry, the only worry I have is that, you know, heaven forbid something were to go wrong either here or there. Somebody gets sick. Right. And we need to get to the other side of the ocean and the, and there's no flights. That's right. my fear. Yeah. So my worry is not for the day-to-day safety of myself or the day-to-day safety of my wife and my youngest, even though we're across the ocean, because we're both in relatively safe situations. I mean, we're, I'm at a, I'm in the middle of you know, a very sort of rural area. I don't, I haven't seen somebody outside of my house in like four days, you know? And so I, you know, I'm not worried about that. My fear is if things sort of get worse and they start shutting down flights completely and heaven forbid something were to happen, what do we do? And I imagine there's lots of people who are in that situation. Right. Now, if you're in the States, you can jump in a car and drive. Right. So the unique thing for me is I got to get on an airplane or she would have to get on an airplane if something were to happen to her parents or whatever who are of course, you know, in, in the, in the age group that is susceptible. So that's my fear. That's my biggest worry. So we we're actually still debating, should she come over? Should she just wait it out? Should we wait? And we're, you know, day by day, we're just sort of taking things as they, as they come. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. Well, I hope it works out in a boat. Yeah. I guess they're, they're just shutting down. Yeah. 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 They don't want to take a boat. No. Boats are not good this time. That no, we don't want like cruises. No cruises. Not cruises. So look, we were going to talk about, and I was, going to want to do this with you anyway was, um, and I contacted you, uh, Perry Nice went on and yeah. out there by your place, obviously you see that every yeah. year. Uh, yeah. then the first three stages of the tour were going to be right yeah. in Nice this year as well. First of all, what was your idea or your thought process, um, or the local area? You said France isn't hit as bad, but with even running uh, Perry Nice, um, this year. And then, um, what were your thoughts about the, do you think the tour is going to go? 
So let me start with Paranese. I was actually um, surprised that it went, and now they cut it, I believe, right? They one cut stage. the last, yeah, one stage. So they got to Nice and then cut it. Um, so if you look at where the, the virus is hitting, Nice, you know, and this is surprising because, you know, we're, you know, my house is 45 minutes from the Italian border. Mm. Yet this area is not super hit compared to other areas, even though it is a fairly dense area. But I think they've also done a pretty good job of sort of shutting things down. So I was a little surprised they they went off with it. I was sort of watching passively. I didn't spend a whole lot of time looking at it. Um, it's obviously no surprise that the Giro is not going to go on. Uh, if you asked me to bet $100 on the Tour de France. Um, Just 100 Yeah, because I wouldn't go more. I mean, if, if you forced me to bet, I would say it's not going to go. Yeah. But that's because the reality we're all living in right now. Right. I don't know. Things could get a lot. You know, I hope it does, obviously, for loads and loads and loads of reasons. Um, but, you know, right now it's hard to imagine. You know, we're in this situation now where it's hard to imagine the other side of it. But we know that we're going to get to the other side of it. But it's still hard to imagine it. So I don't know, which yeah. is a shame because it was going to start with three amazing stages in Nice. Uh, right. now I wouldn't be there this year, which is a shame. The last time I was in Nice, I was there. But um, it's too bad. Too bad. Hope it goes off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw Cookson, the UCI president, saying, hey, we can possibly do this. Um, he also said maybe he was saying we can do uh, the tours, uh, shorten them to two weeks. And then um, maybe it was him or someone else who was basically saying we could possibly still do this tour. Uh, and it just might be where, you know, no one comes out to watch it. And we, the, the, the caravan kind of does its thing and it's, right. it's a TV ish, you know, which it is anyway, right. um, sure. which would be interesting. Uh, and, and, you know, look, I, we're, we're able, like, I, I'm assuming I'm still riding my bike. Um, but I know like Italy and Spain, they're saying none of that. And their reasoning, um, it seems like the, the, the smarter people about it are saying, look, we don't want you getting hurt and yeah. having an issue and then overloading the, the hospitals. Um, I don't think you get hurt as much in trainees as you would in uh, Tour de France, but then you might have your own medical staff. So eh, I don't know. What, so, what's your so, thought there? Okay. So, you know, obviously there's some irony here because in many ways, this is the safest time you're ever going to ride a bike because nobody's right. on the road. Right. It's great. Now, so I think I told you this in a text or maybe I didn't, but so France now has a new policy. So they want people to not exercise more than one kilometer away from their house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now that, that's essentially saying no biking. Right. I mean, no well, cycling. I don't Unless, go farther than that anyway, if you ever look no, at no, Strava. And, and, <laughs> well, like I said, I live like on this incredible hill. I could just yeah. go up and down that about right. 20 times. <laughs> right. But so, so the French have done that too, which, you know, you can imagine in the European countries, you know, culturally, this is just like, you know, <laughs> this is awful because right. the cycling is so important. So that policy is in effect in, in France too. Now I haven't seen that anywhere here in the U S like I, I noticed that you're cycling and I'm thrilled to see that I could, I don't have my bike here. That's another problem, yeah. but I've been out running a bit and I see guys out biking. So, um, I don't think that's happened here, but even in France now they're saying they don't want, they don't want people on bikes. Well, I, I, I don't know how long that's going to last because I, I told you, uh, the, the mayor of, Chicago had come out and saying, look, I don't want you out there riding. You know, you don't need to be running a, a 5K. I'm like, well, that's not really all that far. Yeah. Um, and then right. the mayor of L.A. just said, hey, if you see something, do something. And I'm just I, I'm not a big <laughs> fan of any of this. Part of the irony, too, is, OK, I, I get it. Uh, you may wreck and have to go to the hospital for some of that. Yeah. That's that's extreme. But there's something about 
fighting a, a virus of being outside vitamin D just to your health. You know, I saw a whole breakdown of uh, a coach basically rattling off a bunch of studies saying that there's no, um, there's really no evidence showing that exercise and training and racing depletes your immune system. If anything, it can help boost it. So sure. once again, that's kind of what yeah. we're looking for. Yeah, no, that's the, I think that's the difficult situation the local officials are in is that they, I think everyone understands that exercise is something that is going to be something that's positive. Right. But what you don't want, I guess, is you don't want group rides, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and I guess it is that fear of, you know, you, you get in an accident, you crash and suddenly now you're in a hospital and we all know that get, going to a hospital right now is a, is a, is a potential uh, negative in terms of catching something. So it's a shame because, you know, I agree with you. You know, it's funny. I think about this, you know, the situation we're all in and I think, wouldn't this be a great time to get fit, to start eating healthier and all these right. things. And it's hard to do that if you can't go out and, and do it. But as, so far, as I said, here in Maryland on the East coast, we, we haven't had any of those kinds of restrictions. Um, like I said, we're not quite as uh, locked down as you are. And like, I think maybe like New Jersey and New York and yeah. things. So, so far we're okay on that front. Yeah. So the, I, what's interesting is um, I decided to work from home and you could only do so much here with the family and everything. So it's easy also for me to just take out in the middle of the day and go for a ride. So I've been right. riding more, I mean, more, you know, concentrated, um, and, uh, which means I could eat a little better or worse and, and get away with yeah. it, I guess, you know, um, cause I, I, it feels like Christmas time. You're in the, you're in the yeah. house yeah. and, uh, overloading with food. So it could be a problem there. So See, the, I think the advantage you have too, which is also true in Nice where I'm from is that climate wise, yeah. right. It's good. I mean, this right. is not, you know, Minnesota or whatever. And right. so getting out, you just feel like I want to do this because it's beautiful right now. I mean, we're in the right. middle of March. Yeah, it's hey, it's been a little chilly. It was like fifty-seven yesterday. Oh no! Oh I, no! Well, it was. It was. I cramped my style. Although the last yeah. weekend it was pretty nice. Um, okay, so do you have? And then we'll we'll go to some other stuff here. Yeah. Um, do you have any n idea of what the stages were going to be there in Nice this year? Yeah, or if I they do, do so, if they do continue. Okay, so, so my understanding is that the first three stages are going to be in Nice. I think it opens with a time trial which is going to be flat. So, so let me just, let me just set the stage for Nice. I think a lot of people are aware of what, uh, of the kind of cycling hotbed that it is. I mean, Lance Armstrong famously lived there a lot going back 20 years. It's still a place where a lot of pro riders live and ride. And one of the reasons is because you have a very good balance of flat. Well, first of all, you have amazing climate, but then you have a very good balance of flat and then immediate mountains. And I mean, serious mountains, like big climbs. And so you can get any kind of workout you want in. And so the first three stages, as I look them up, is sort of like Nice in a nutshell. So uh, if you look at a map, okay, all, all the viewers can go look at a map now, pull up a map while you're listening. But Nice is very much where the mountains meet uh, the Mediterranean Sea, the whole coastline there, the Italian French Riviera. And Nice is about the flattest spot within 20 kilometers of either side. And that's where the city is. And right up through the center is uh, a big river. And that creates a lot of the flat areas. And totally surrounding that is just mountains, mountains, mountains. So a lot of riders. Can you, um, can you see that? I can see that. Yeah. Okay. You, yeah, down, yeah, absolutely. So we're down in the very south uh, southeast corner there. And um, 
you get a little bit of everything in those first three stages, which I really hope people can see because number one, it's beautiful. And number two, it's just, um, uh, it's sort of this perfect uh, balance between flats and mountains. So um, as I looked at it, the first stage very, you know, uh, I think it's a time trial. The second stage is huge mountains right off the top, right off the top. And the one that might be the most well-known to the people who watch this is the Coldez, which is the last of three big climbs. And that's famous because that's almost always in the Pyrenees. Very right, often right. it's the last stage of the Pyrenees, as people know. So that's on there. But the one that is the most beautiful, and I've actually been on this one. There, there's three. I, I wrote them down. One is the Col de la Colmaine, which I actually don't know what that is. I don't know where that is. I mean, I, I've never been to it. But the one that I've done before is called the Col de Turini. And it is this... I mean, if you go look at it, it is picturesque. It is just switchback after switchback after switchback after switchback. And I think it was in one of the races last year. Might have been in Paris-Nice, but anyway, that's been added. So what's interesting about the tour in Nice from, from my perspective is that right from the start, you get a huge mountain stage right from the start. I think the Col de Turini is something like 14 or 15 kilometers and it's an average of like almost eight. I mean, it is serious. And so you get three of those right off the bat. And then the third uh, uh, day is essentially a um, uh, sort of a trip from Nice sort of out of the area. And I think it ends in a place called Cisteron, yes. which is, which is a beautiful, I mean, a beautiful, beautiful, like old fortress city on the way to a place called Gap. So, so uh, I've told you before, but my son plays ice hockey yes. and we, we drove through Cisteron all the time. It is one of the most gorgeous places you'll see. Anyway, so those are the first three quick stages and it's sort of a, sort of a, an ode to Nice in many ways because you get the flats, you know, you're on the coast, um, you get the mountains very quickly. You know, a lot of the famous climbs that your viewers have heard of, like the Col de la Madone, I think Lance Armstrong made right, that famous. Right, right. You know, it starts, you know, that ride starts on the ocean. And I'll give you a little, just a quick little um, um, path of how it goes. It, it very quickly just begins to go up, 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 up. And about halfway through, or maybe two thirds of the way through that climb, you get to a town called Saint Agnès. And what's interesting about Saint Agnès is that it is the highest, what is called a littoral. That's the French word, littoral. It's the, it means, um, littoral means uh, within four kilometers of the coast. That It's called the littoral coast. Okay. And so in French geography, if something is within four kilometers, like, you know, as you as a crow would fly, it's called the littoral coast. Saint-Agnès is the highest elevated city on the littoral coast in the Mediterranean. Or maybe it's in Europe. I shouldn't say anything about parts of Turkey or whatever, but right. in Europe, so very quickly you go from, so within four kilometers of how a crow flies, you're at, you know, 2,500 feet. I mean, it is just up, up, up. And that's part of the spectacular part of these uh, climbs is that you get up and you have these amazing views of the coast. And you'll see that a bit uh, if this tour goes off, you'll see that on day two. Yeah, so just take a look at the map there. So, you know, obviously yeah. starting down uh, where you're at in Nice, Heading yeah. over, um, I don't think they do Von Two. I don't see it on there, but that's the kind of the no. region they, they head over. Obviously, um, the Pyrenees, uh, big yep. transfer up. And I wonder what they would do on the transfers if they'd still do the plains, uh, that northern yep. French, uh, French portion across the middle. And then, uh, and, and what I think is interesting is kind of their take this year, last few years, of doing the northern 
um, northeastern portion of France, of France and the mountains up there, which we saw with uh, La Planche de Belfi and some of these yep. other just more erratic climbs, which I would, I would think. So I don't know if you've been up there at all. I have. Now, this year, La Planche de Belfi, is it a time trial? Yeah. So they were going to do a time trial, what, stage yeah, 20, I, I believe? 20, something like that. Yeah. So, so I've been up there. I haven't ridden my bike up there as much. Um, but you know, so it's, 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 um, I would say that it's very different from down in Nice area. What, 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 what I've noticed from driving and riding is that in Nice, it's very much tiny, tiny, small little roads. And I think when you get up into the Alps, because, um, maybe because of the skiing factor or whatever, the roads tend to be a little bit, I, I would say it's slightly less technical mm. in some areas than, than some of the, the rides. Now I'm saying that as someone who hasn't ridden them, but <laughs> even is. something like, yeah, even something like Alpe d'Huez, um, the, the road is enormous going up to Alpe d'Huez. It's enormous. I wow. mean, it's traversed by cars all the time. In other words, in terms of how wide it is. Right, right. Um, whereas a lot of the, a lot of the, 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 the little climbs down where, where I'm living are much, much, much smaller roads because there's just fewer people. There's not as much car traffic. I mean, I, I, I have little rides where basically one car can fit through at a time. So if you're going up, that's not a problem, but coming down roads like that, where literally cars are coming at you the way it's very, 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 very technical. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, so I appreciate kind of the break and, and this is, maybe our entertainment for the, for the year, since we don't yeah. have the tour, we just I talk know. about the, yeah. the, the, the cool routes and stuff. The Olympics, it looks like they've been postponed as well. Um, yeah. and I'm sure you're a big Olympic Olympian fan from, yeah. you know, growing up, I remember, um, watching, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, the 1980 hockey team and all the good stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, what's, uh, what's kind of your take on, on postponing of that? So, I mean, obviously year, it has to be done, right? I, of course, I think it has to be done. Um, what I, what I find myself thinking about the Olympics more and more every year is that I feel less and less sympathy for the athletes because they're pros. Okay. I don't know what okay. that says about me. You know, I feel terrible for the Olympians who are in sports that aren't as well known where right. they don't, where, where another year of funding might really be difficult, right. where they're at an age level that this was their shot. I mean, obviously I feel terrible because those are the best stories that come out of the Olympics. Right. I'm not as concerned about the, the, the professionals who have million dollar contracts, you know, they'll be fine. But uh, I love watching the Olympics. I, I've said to my, I, I say to my European friends a lot, I love, love, love any sport that pits country against country. And we don't have that here in our, I mean, we don't have that in the United States. Like we don't yeah. have baseball. I mean, yes, you have the world, whatever. It's nothing, nobody cares. Right, right, right. We don't have it in football. We don't really have it in basketball. In Europe, you know, the, the World Cup, the European Championships, even something like rugby, you know, they go crazy for it. And so for me, the Olympics is like, as an American, that's like the one shot we have to just root for our country. Yeah. The way Europeans do like every year, multiple times. And so I love the Olympics. You know, and I'm going to miss but we have that. What's interesting about cycling, the whole model that it has is, you know, we have corporate sponsors, but they really make a big deal. You know, you're watching a, the, who's in the break and it has uh, the rider's yeah. name, their country, <laughs> and then their sponsor. Yeah. So it's and always I, and, a big, and then uh, world championships, you know, so. Absolutely. So, so we get it a little bit in cycling. Like I find myself just naturally rooting for Americans right. and then American teams. 
Right. And I, I'm sure a lot of people watching are the same way. Um, and so, yeah, we get that little bit in cycling, which is why I like cycling, but it's not quite the same as, as what you get in, um, in obviously the bigger, the bigger sports. Right. Um, just, and we'll, this is maybe we'll deviate off from this point, but so the Olympics were going to be in Tokyo. Um, they had them there and well, they've had the winter games a few times that I think it was 64 was last time the summer were in Japan. So interesting. And I've seen that they somehow they are curbing this, you know, they're, they're flattening the curve, so to speak in Japan. Um, I, I, what I read was they have a very high rate of, of smokers. They also have one of the oldest populations but why, why them? Why, why are they able to do this? So the, the, the easiest answer I can give you is that testing is what is driving everything. I mean, I, I'm more familiar with sort of the South Korean model where they have similar right. demographics, right. but in, in some ways, um, testing, what it does is it enables you to quickly identify who has it. The biggest problem countries like Italy and Spain and, and us to some degree have is that we're not sure who has it. Right. And it, the quicker you know who has it, the quicker you can self-isolate. Um, Japan is a very dense country, which, uh, you know, not like New York can create lots of problems, but with huge amounts of testing, what you can do is you can begin to mitigate exactly where people are. You can self-isolate. Um, I don't know how, um, Japan differs from South Korea necessarily, but South Korea's had a similar sort of arc to their curve. And if you look at what is unique about both of those countries and others is that, and again, this is partly geographic. Okay. Let's, let's make that very clear. They're very close to, to China. So naturally right. they probably took it more seriously yeah. than Europeans or Americans. Immediately they began to test. And I think that has been um, the model that has shown to be the most effective, but you know, the problem in terms of the Olympics is there's a couple of problems. One is the potential of a relapse of some kind. In other words, once you flatten the curve and then get spike back to it. normal, will it spike again? And then, of course, the other factor is all the other athletes from around the world who can't train properly, right. you know, like, like we've talked about before. So I think there was, it's a no-brainer that you had, to, you had to postpone these Olympics. Right, right. So just... So why is Italy having such a such a huge problem? And and it looks like to me one of the countries that is uh, reporting really good numbers is North Korea. <laughs> how much do we believe? How much do we believe no on, on no some way. of these? On, like I, I saw uh, yesterday, I was looking and it's like um, Mexico had really low numbers, uh, and Russia. Right. And I'm like, I don't. And and what I had heard about like Mexico, they're just like whatever. We're not going to do it. So obviously they're not testing. Uh, but even like right. Russia as well, I don't know what some of these countries, you don't know really what to believe. Like you want to believe the numbers coming out of China exactly. now, but do you? Right. Yeah. But how can we exactly? So what I can, you know, Italy, I think has a couple of things that are interesting. Um, first of all, they have a phenomenal healthcare system. Okay. So, you know, let's, you know, I would stop at anyone who says, oh, it's Italy. They don't have any good health. They got great healthcare. Okay. Um, great hospitals is what I mean. And, and, and. What's interesting about Italy is, first of all, they were slow to react. We know that, as as was, to be honest, as were a lot of the countries. Right. Okay, slow to react, slow to close down, people coming in and out. And then you get to the other factor. Italy has had so there's a couple of factors. One is Italy has one of the highest smoking rates in 
the world. Now, I, to be honest, have not read a lot of data on whether this is affecting smokers more than others, but I can't help but think. Right. The fact that it affects those I mean, with respiratory problems, right? Right. But I'm yeah. actually a little surprised that I haven't heard more about that, okay. which makes me wonder, is that true or not? So I'm assuming. Yes. The second thing about Italy is that they have had a very difficult economic situation over right. the past five to six years. And what has happened in Italy is that you have a very high percentage of kids, and by kids I mean people your age and my age, who are having economic difficulties and they're living at home. Now what that means is there's a higher transfer um, rate to the old transfer the rate to the elderly. And so, so because they are living in such, such close quarters, and again, you know, factor in cultural things about how important, you know, big close families are. You know, I don't right, want to right. get stereotypical. I don't want to be a, I don't want to turn this into a stereotype, but there are sort of anecdotal reasons and actual reasons why um, young people who we know might be asymptomatic carriers or may not be as careful as others are closer in contact with elderly people in Italy. And by the way, I think this could also apply to Spain, to be yeah, honest, yeah, in terms of the economics, right. it certainly can. Um, so I think those are factors that, that are playing a role. Now, I, I can't explain, here's what I can't explain. I can't explain the death rate because Italy's death rate in terms of tested versus death is like 9%. That's unbelievable. And like I said, they have good doctors, they have good medical institutions. So again, is that related to the underlying health issues? You know, in other words, do, does a country like Italy with a very high proportion of smokers compared to the United States, for example, um, do those underlying conditions just mean that you're going to have a higher death rate because a higher percentage of people getting sick are, are people with underlying conditions? So I, I don't know. I, but I had read, I, do you know who, uh, Richard Epstein is, he's a the constitutional no. law. Okay, he no, had no. done a lot of work with um, um, AIDS epidemic and, and epidemiology okay. stuff, but he's a he's a law professor, but he's, anyway. Okay. Um, he had mentioned, and I can get into his whole thing, but um, one thing he mentioned, and so I can, didn't fact check this, was that if you just, and I'm not comparing the flu, but he said, and he wasn't either, but he said, if you look at flu deaths, some reason Italy has higher death rate of flu then as well. So his interpolation from that is, we don't know why, but for some reason it's happening with that as well. And maybe your explanation kind of draws into that. So, you know, again, I don't know, but it, it, it does appear that Italy appears to be the outlier, which right, right. is good. <laughs> I mean, not good well, we for hope. me, but I mean, yeah. that's good. We hope because even in the United States, where obviously we're on our, st we're still on our upward slope. Right. The death rate is still much more consistent with, sort of countries that have handled this much better. And, you know, you, you, you hope that continues. Um, we haven't gotten to the point yet where our hospitals, if and when we get to the point where our hospitals are inundated, that's a problem. Now, that I'm sure contributes to Italy's uh, death rate is the fact that they have hospitals where they just didn't have equipment. So people who potentially could have survived didn't because they didn't have whatever it is, yeah. you know, ventilators or whatever. So I think with Italy, it's like this perfect storm of things that have come together. Uh, everything from not, not closing off people quick enough to cultural reasons, to economic reasons, to um, medical reasons that have all come together to make them the sort of the poster child for, for what's for, for the worst case scenario. Yeah. So look, I kind of 
Saul, you, you posted um, this on Facebook. Maybe you could talk about it a little bit. Well, you were able yeah. to sit in, I think, with your father-in-law, a uh, phone yeah. call kind of with the White House and some other stuff. So I thought we'd start with, that was back on, I wrote it down here, the 16th it's of March. It's about a week ago. Yeah. yeah about 16, a week ago. Uh, 10 days. 10 ago. days. So 16th of March. And maybe you give us an idea of kind of what that was and okay. what your feeling what from there was and whatever else you want to add in there. Okay. So, um, let me figure out how to start this uh, in a correct way. I'm, I'm going to start with my premise. Okay. And my premise is that Donald Trump is making, personally, not politically, personally, he, he is a disaster for this crisis. Okay. Now, I'll come back to that. I say that because for him, everything's personal. He right. says things that aren't true all the time, all the time. He wants to blame other people, takes no responsibility, et cetera, et cetera. So this was the back this was the backdrop for this conversation that I listened in on. My father-in-law runs a, it's like a consortium, it's called the Healthcare Council. It's a consortium of local hospitals in the Maryland, DC area. And um, as part of the American Hospital Association, he's invited very often to sit in on um, uh, conference calls. So there was one that was going to be run by the White House, by Secretary Azar. He said, do you want to sit in? It's, you know, he can't talk. He can just listen. I said, yeah, okay. this is cool. And so, you know, Jared Kushner was there. He spoke. Secretary Azar spoke. Uh, they passed it off to someone at the CDC who spoke. They passed it off to someone at the NIH who spoke. And as I said on my post, I was infinitely more confident in our federal government listening to that conversation than I am when I listen to the president. That's my point. You know, I, as you know, I often sort of criticize the president, but it's mostly him. I'm, I'm trying to be careful not to be too political. In other words, I'm trying not to criticize Republicans as much as I'm criticizing Trump. And what I, what I heard from Trump versus what I heard from the people who are actually experts made me feel terrific about, about how this is being handled. Now, there's still problems, obviously. Sure. But that conversation was very interesting because um, of the level of competence you know, people who knew what they were talking about and who had, you know, sort of plans in place for how we're going to tackle this problem, not giving false assurances, saying things like, it's going to get worse. Here's how we're going to fix this. But uh, it was a very interesting sort of just experience for me to sit in on that. And I've done a few more as uh, over the last couple of weeks, and, and they've all been really, really interesting and really positive. Oh, that's good. So you're, you're back on the Trump train then? Not the Trump train. I'm on the federal <laughs> government train. But of okay. course, my background makes me a little bit more uh, on so, that train to be. So I'm, I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm, I'm per probably pretty extreme for some people, but I'm more on the anarchy stage. Okay. So we're just, we go over there. But I'm, I feel that, uh, and I'll just kind of take the, the Donald Trump thing here real quick. Um, to me, when he was running, he was not necessary, and people are going to, probably balk at some of this, but he wasn't really changing a lot of um, ideas. He was just basically saying, I'm going to be a better administrator. So I think this is kind of the concept of what you have now is what you're talking about is um, you're feeling that he's not necessarily the greatest administrator, which maybe that means that we can decentralizing is, is a good prospect here. Um, and you're seeing some experts take, take hold in other areas. I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, I, I think it goes beyond, though, administration. I mean, I, I'm convinced he's a terrible administrator because he doesn't have the ability to separate himself from anything else. I mean, sure. I'm not a psychologist. 
But there's no doubt to me that he's a classical narcissist. He, he, he you know, he, everything's about him. He can't admit anything that he's done wrong. He can't deflect and defer. He can't defer to the experts. He's up in front every time until things get bad, then he will blame people. He does this time and time and time again. So I don't, I don't think that's a criticism of the structure of the government so much as for me, it's a criticism of this particular person sure. in this particular place in time. So that my criticisms are about him no, personally. And, and this was my hope coming through this. Uh, everyone would say, oh, look, now we've got you know X, Y, and Z. We don't like this about. How about we stick to what um, the, the framework is of the powers of this president and what he can actually do? Because I know a lot of people were just distraught when the, the news broke about who won the election. Their life was going to be over. And I'm like, um, you know, there's very limited powers that are actually awarded to this person. But we like to just keep giving them more and more and more and letting them run roughshod. So that was my hope. It's not really coming to pass because I think the next person no. is just going to grab the exact same. Uh, anyway, that we can we can go down that route a little bit. But yeah. what do you think then is so he's he's doing things that you aren't great. You're not happy with necessarily about what he's saying. But how is that really and what is he actually affecting the outcome of anything? Because um, uh, and as an example, uh, we saw, you know, there's this uh, drug that some people are using with the Z-Pack and that it's somewhat been, you know, there's been re results that are they're like, it's, it's been very helpful. Um, so he comes out and says something and then someone drinks their uh, tank fish tank water and dies. And so the reports are that um, this is Trump's fault because he told them to do this. Now those don't really match, but is, no, is, and that's is, he, not... is that something that you're thinking he's causing problems? And is he, is he really causing problems here? Okay. First of all, I don't, yeah. Okay. So let, let me back up. Um, um, uh, Trump is someone who, as I said, can't divorce himself from anything else. Sure. So the problem that I have with Trump is, is not so much political as it is some sort of social, because what has happened with Trump is the classic cult of personality kind of thing. The reason why Trump is, I think, um, more, and I'll put this word in quotes here, powerful than other um presidents is because of the um, grip he has on what is referred to as his base. Um, there is a base of people in this country that is significant. Okay. It's not a majority. It's significant. That is willing to believe anything he says and is not willing to check if what he says is true. Okay. Now we can debate what number that is of people who are that way. But when you have a president who has that much influence over sort of the narrative, okay, whether it's through Fox News or through whatever uh, radio and, and false information is being put out daily, daily, that creates a, a, uh, a president who has more power than he should have. So, I mean, I agree with you that presidents are often elevated to a level that's too high. In other words, they don't actually have as much power as most people think. Right, right. And so, and, and so I, I sort of agree with you. I want much more power to be used by the, by the legislative branch, et cetera. But, but Trump is sort of portraying this, you know, he, he said this, I alone can fix it. That's what he said at his inaugural, at, at his, at, at, at the convention. Right. There are a lot of problems in this world and quote, I alone can fix it. And millions of people bought into that. 
So millions of people, millions of people now think that Trump is the solution to every problem. And that is very scary for me. So when he says, you know, I have hope that this drug can work. And by the way, he said it a little more than that. He said, I, he said, we're going to get this released immediately. It is not, of course, you know, Trump's fault that these, this husband and a couple, you know, drank this uh, drug. But here's what's probably true. If Trump hadn't said that and had left medical things to Dr. Fauci, in other words, I'm guessing though that guy would be alive today because he wouldn't have tried to drink it if he hadn't heard it from Trump. So you, you I don't know, think there's obviously- I, I think there's a good chance he would have uh, died from something else. <laughs> Let's be Maybe. honest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, if, that's if a fair point. That, 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 that was just going to happen. I, look, I, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with what you're saying there, uh, other than, and we'll kind of move here uh, along, um, other than um, I think there might be a misunderstanding as far as his support, because I think this goes both ways. He's crazy. And then the Democrats' response is, we've got Joe Biden- and, and so I'm like, well, they're going to believe what he says, too. I mean, it's, it's really no different. It's your team stuff. Um, and, but I don't know that, like, people that I know that are uh, Trump supporters, they don't, they don't necessarily say, oh, we believe this. They know. They know what's going on. They don't care because it's their side and their agenda getting pushed forward. So I don't, I don't know that this is anything uh, new in life. It's just that he is, has a unique way of going about it online. I think that's, that's part yeah, of the I problem. Think, I think that's what makes it new is the I, availability. Yeah. So, you know, I don't have to tell you this, but we live in a world now where you can get the news that you want. Sure. Okay. You, yeah. you can filter out anything that you don't want to hear. And of course, both sides do this, of course. But for Trump, with, his, with this megaphone, he has taken this to an art level. And he's a genius when it comes to this. And look, this guy's a TV reality star. He knows communication. He knows how to do this. And by the way, he knows how to push buttons. Oh, and yeah. the Democrats fall for it every time. The Democrats always sort of overreact to him, make it worse. So, so you know, there's plenty of, of, of sort of blame here. But I think what's new is the way in which people are getting their information. And in... In the old days, even if you thought the news was biased, it wasn't just only one perspective, period. It was a little bit of both. Sure, it might be on one side or the other, but now you have you know, people who, who literally can just only hear what they want to hear, and that makes them even stronger in their beliefs, whether or not those beliefs uh, sure. are based on facts. Confirmation bias, in a sense, then. Confirmation bias, sure. Right. Um, look, so so with that framework and that that whole thing in mind, um, how are you are you are you all concerned about any of the civil liberties issues going on right now? With first of all, when when both sides seem to be taking on this whole thing and it's you know pandemic and there's definitely concerns, but um, at what point are we maybe going overboard? You know, he does the Defense Production Act, which. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily so scary in itself, but some of these other things that are going on, you know, Cuomo comes out and says, uh, well, we're going to do whatever it takes, even if it only saves one life. And I think that's maybe super narrow minded. So what's what's your concern or is there any uh, for the civil liberty stuff? Well, OK, first of all, that's a soundbite. What Cuomo says, I mean, and you know, that's that's, that's all like, I listen to. Yeah, I know. But that, that's a, no, another word. No, no. I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that's only a soundbite. What I mean is that's a. Um, that's just a phrase that politicians say. I, you know, that's sure. it's a cliche. It's a cliche, is what I'm saying. But so they are I, they are somewhat acting like that when they're saying, you know, if you're going outside, you're going to be arrested. 
Yeah, but 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 the idea is, I think that um, in a pandemic like this, there's no such thing as only one person being affected. In other words, that's the point of a pandemic: is that sure. one the the actions of one individual can have catastrophic results for thousands of people. So, I mean, I think that's the point. So, in terms of so, when it comes to like, you know having the government say to a corp to, to, to companies, you have to make these products. I have no problem with that. That's been in the, on the books for years. If this is a war, as the president has said, it is, why would we not use wartime measures to combat it? Now, I don't like the war analogy. Okay. But if you're going to use it, if you're going to use the war analogy, then let's, do something to make sure that we are actually treating it like that's what it is. I don't share quite as much as you do the worry about, for example, going down a road and then pulling back. I know, I know your concerns. The concerns are that when you go down a road far enough, it's very hard to come back. I think that's a problem. Okay, I yeah. do think there are issues where we have those problems. But I also think that history has shown that there are not huge numbers of examples where we are so uh, restricted in what we do that it gets to a point where, at least where I'm super concerned. Now, we're going to probably disagree, so you can push back on that. But I'd ask you, what are some examples of, of, of things that are over the line that are happening now? Well, we've... Well, maybe not now, but even in the past. Well, I'm, as an example, 9-11, uh, we still, you know, they're still passing along the Patriot Act. So <clears throat> we're not really getting rid of it, which I do have to comment about the humorous part of that is, um, and sorry for folks that we're getting a little political here, but um, Trump goes through this whole concern about the deep state, which, you know, I, I'm always concerned about as well, um, and then signs off on the, the reauthorization. And I'm just like, I... I, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Listen, listen. It's a it's it's a it's a fact of reality that everybody hates too much government until they're in power. Right. Well, that's <laughs> so, why we shouldn't I mean, have any. Oh that's... no, I understand that. I understand. <laughs> no, now, here, so, 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 so let me ask you. Okay, okay go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, go ahead. So, on in a broad sense, yeah. Um, my my concern with people who are um, critical of government, too critical. Of, I mean, I, I I I want to be critical of government. Okay, we should be critical. Of government. My concern with people who are always critical of government is that is that that's the, that's their goal. In other words, I don't what what I what I want is people to say, here's how I'm critical, and then here's how I'm going to fix the problem. Sure. So so you know if we don't have measures, for example, after 9/11, then what else would we do if we didn't have certain measures to make sure something didn't happen again? Do we put you know? Time limits on these things. I don't. You know, these are questions we can ask. Um, but you know, from from a from the perspective of someone who values the role of government, in other words, I think the government, if it's done right, can can be something that is positive. I'm not always as concerned as as others about what the government is trying to do in certain situations. Okay, so some of that is is, and we can talk maybe about where where this has gone here. Um, some of that's just central planning idea. So the Defense Production Act, as an example, I'm going to commandeer GM, and they're going to start making ventilators. Well, maybe instead of doing that, um, you just incentivize different companies to do different things, and you're going to get a rollout of ventilators done probably in a much more efficient fashion. 
Um, you know, because now you're going to have to start doing the whole recipe of everything down the line. And there's too many like unintended consequences of a central planner dictating out production. And I get, you know, wartime, World War II, uh, you know, tire fact GM or Goodyear, you know, was making, you know, tires and everything was rationed out and it was uh, maybe it was a little bit different. I so there's always that kind of issue that I'm concerned about. And then as far as now, um, I don't, and I, these reason I'm having you here is because I like to have people kind of understand, you know, I'm going to say some things and then you can, you know, clutch, yeah. Yeah. calm their fears. Um, but we've got, you tell me if I'm wrong on this, uh, first amendment, because you can't, um, uh, against freedom of association. They're saying, you know, groups of 10 or more, uh, second amendment, they're, they're closing down uh, gun shops and saying, you're not uh, vital. Uh, third amendment <laughs> where they're, they're actually having taken over hotels and stuff and putting national guard in them. And, and then fourth amendment as well, just due process and everything. So, uh, you tell me, uh, if I'm wrong, I didn't expect the third amendment to come into this, but here we are. And some yeah, of this but, I'm being facetious, obviously, but yeah, of course, because the third amendment, of course, uh, implies no compensation. There's, there's no talk. There's no talk at all about anybody taking over a hotel and not compensating them for it. And that's the same thing with, that's the same thing with sort of any of these, these programs. There's a big difference between saying the, the army has to stay in your house and you have no say, and we're not going to compensate you. And Hey, could we use your hotel, which by the way, isn't full anyway. Right. right. Well, cause we're not could allowed we use to. It as a ho- right. Okay. But could we use it as a hotel? And by the way, we'll pay you hospitals would line uh, I'm sorry, hotels would line up for this because this would help them economically. So I don't see any any relationship between the Third Amendment and what's happening now. Well, no, no, they're, they're still, um, yes, that's totally what's happening. They're, they're, they're basically saying you, you have to do these things. I and mean, that's, that's, it's one thing but if you want to offer. I don't, does the Third Amendment require compensation or just says no, no quartering of soldiers? No, the, the Third Amendment makes no distinction. So in other words- well, then. Okay, but so again, but this also gets to the point that every every amendment has its limits. So you know, we all know that there's no such thing as an amendment that that is that can be used exclusively. There's always a limit to every amendment, and the discussion is where is that limit? Not is there a limit? Well, the psycho does say all- shall not be uh, infringed, but but I think we've had case law that's gone over that. No, okay, no, but we so- know there's a limit to to the Second Amendment. We know that. I, I understand. I'm saying in the actual amendment itself, besides precedent and case law, it actually says shall not be infringed. But we've come to to basically say there's there's obviously a lot of infringements on there on, on all of them. And look, I don't. Um, and you could argue that that's the well regulated part. I mean, there you know we well regulated militia. I think is, was the way. Right, of, sure. Yeah, okay. that, that all that means is you got to have a captain and a commander. I'm kidding. Okay, um, I know. What's what? So there's no concerns right now. And and, and look, what about just the, some of the give and take of 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 having? You had mentioned something on Facebook as well about um, um, states' rights and Republicans kind of having some. And I didn't seen that necessarily that that the Republicans weren't going about it. But there's an interesting point about the jurisdiction for the fed what the federal government can do and then what the states can do i mean the federal government doesn't have what's called police powers so they don't really have this this ability to do a lot of things because they have designated things that they can do so a lot of these um uh issues that you're having in your own state are up to the governors and they do have that police power that could come in and inspect your backyard you know making sure that you're doing all kinds of stuff so um i think and I know people were getting saying, hey, Trump isn't doing enough. But a lot of it is, I wonder, and maybe your take on this is, 
not governors with enough backbone to just do it themselves, and they would rather have the the federal government tell them what to do. Any any so thoughts I, there? Okay, so I, I'm not sure if the governors are wanting the federal government to tell them what to do. What the governors are wanting is the federal government to take over in terms of things like supply. So there are areas in which the federal government is in charge of protection, okay? The military is the most obvious example, okay? Obviously that's a federal power. So when it comes to protecting Americans from invasion, no one would say, well, listen, uh, Governor Cuomo, you're in charge of, of New York. No one would say that. Well, is a pandemic more akin to uh, a couple of you know gangs in a neighborhood where the local police can deal with it, or is it more akin to a foreign invasion, which is beyond the scope of what any particular state can do? You know, we all know. <clears throat> excuse me. The virus doesn't care what state you live in. Right. So you know, the actions of one governor might be uh, moot if people then go to another state. So you can't tackle this problem on a state level. You just can't. It's a national, global, but national problem. So of course governors are looking to the federal government for guidance. It doesn't matter what the governor of California does if the governor of you know, Oregon and Nevada and Arizona says we're gonna do something completely different and people are moving around back and forth. So I think that's the sort of impetus as to why people look to federal government in crises that are of a national level. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I think that that's sort of the natural way in which a country would want to deal with a problem that is, in fact, a national problem. Okay. What about um, the, uh, first of all, how quickly did you um, respond to this yourself? Uh, and, and are we good on time still? I'm fine. Yeah. Okay. Actually, okay. Uh, let me check my, yeah, I got about uh, 10 minutes. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up. I have, to, hours. I have to work. You know, I have to work for it. This is more fun, but. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> how well were you prepared? I'll just say this, that um, when I, this thing first started happening over in China, and I was a little aware just from the cycling side of seeing the the, the tour, uh, the right. UAE, right. the tour over there and getting shut down. But even before then, uh, my wife was on top of this. I mean, we were. You know, and I don't know that it's so irrational for people uh, going out and, and glomming on and getting all kinds of, you know, toilet paper. I mean, it, it yeah. seems everyone makes a big deal about it. But when you're going to be stuck in your house like you are now, I mean, it's a garden hose or it's toilet paper. And, and my wife took care of everything. We had, you know, canned yeah. goods. We're, we're set. Yeah. We had, we bought two more chickens. We're, we got six. Um, okay. Four of them are, are you know. Two your protein is taken care of on all right. levels. Right. We're, we're, we're looking good. But I mean, how, how well were you prepared? Oh. And then, and then go to um, what, you know, there's been some criticism for the, the CDC and the FDA kind of on this whole process. Yeah. So personally, uh, I, I got a, a wind of this uh, very early because I, in uh, early January, I was moving here. So I was already starting to hear rumors about it in Europe. I moved here. Two weeks later, I went back to Europe for a conference I was going to in The Hague, Netherlands with 3,500 students. And it was a huge deal because we had people coming from China and all. So it was a big, so I was thinking about this, you know, and, and look, watching it very carefully, very early, just because of what was happening in my life. Okay. Gotcha. And then, and then when we came back, so I, I went to a conference at the end of January in Netherlands. I came back on Super Bowl Sunday, actually. And then the next what month was essentially normal essentially i mean we had some events at the university where we were 
careful and we bought extra hand sanitizer, all those kinds of things. But, you know, I think because also I'm at a, a university, there's much more um, attention being paid because we have students and we have a lot of international students. So, you know, they were, we were already starting to think about travel and things. So, so, so in terms of sort of getting prepared where I am here with my in-laws, we, we got prepared very quickly. Once it happened, it happened pretty quick, but we were pretty prepared. My, my complaint with the, with the federal government response, and I don't want to be, you know, Mr. Monday morning quarterback. And by the way, it's too easy to do. Yeah, but I agree. It, it's very easy to do. And, and it, it, it's, you know, that should be squashed. But you cannot, you absolutely cannot argue with the point that um, this president and right-wing news outlets and commentators, I'll let you finish, absolutely downplayed this. And they downplayed it for one reason. It's because the president is an insecure narcissist. How do you this really was about, Yeah. No, but in other words, this was for him an attack on him. This was an attack on him. And, it, and the right-wing media jumped on that. Okay, it was one month ago yesterday, as you saw maybe on my Facebook, that Rush Limbaugh said, come on, it's a common cold, it's a big deal. Right, right. We, and, and so because of who we have in the Oval Office, and I'm not saying because he's a Republican, I'm saying because it's Donald Trump, because of who we have in the Oval Office, this government didn't respond. Because to respond to, to him would be seen as something that was negative. He took this, like, this is going to be seen as my fault, which, by the way, nobody, well, I shouldn't say nobody, no reasonable person is going to blame Donald Trump for a virus outbreak. Now, people are doing it on the far left, but he, but he, he doesn't even have the confidence to uh, tackle this issue without thinking this is gonna reflect poorly on me. Therefore, I want to close my eyes and downplay this as a media hoax, as nothing more than the flu. And that set us back at least six weeks, probably eight weeks. And that was devastating. Okay. So, so yeah, that's what I, I really feel. No, 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 no. I, I don't disagree necessarily. Um, I would push back a little bit being the fact that, and, and once again, I feel like, I, why do I have to say this? I'm not a Trump supporter, but um, I think that you've got to take things into the world of politics. And as you, you appropriately said was, it doesn't matter who was in office and, and this guy. Um, I don't care who's in office. If you're coming up, the, le <clears throat> the election's coming up and, and the economy which, by the way, uh, my feeling on that was it was not humming along at such an amazing pace. I, I mean, we, we, we've got a, an underlying situation and the bubble was ready to be popped. <clears throat> so I don't think that that was. Uh, and, and so with that being the case, um, you're going to react and you're going to try to quell and you're going to worry about the stock market. And specifically in your toning and your conversation and, and your comments you're going to make. And then you're you're the guy you are. Yeah. Um, so that's going to help. But. With that said, what does that say about the CDC? Oh, you know, there, there was comments that they came out and said, hell, you know, don't use a mask to begin with. They've changed some of their stuff. Um, they, they, they didn't want to use the, their, uh, their own. They wanted to use their own testing instead of uh, the one from the, um, the World Health Organization. Um, they, they've denied even just recently. Um, there was four different companies that have had. This is the FDA as well. 
Uh, they've denied at-home testing. Um, the FDA had, uh, there was four different companies that put out tests and it was just reported yesterday where those companies are now saying, hey, if you we're, we're trashing your data because the, the FDA is now saying we can't even uh, do this anymore. So um, I understand where, you know, we've got some, some problems all around and it's not necessarily, but him saying those things should not affect the FDA and it should not affect um, the CDC as far as their reaction. Well, uh, yeah, it shouldn't, but okay. Again, so you're saying you're saying it no, does. Well, I, let, let me say two things about what you said. Number one is um, <clears throat> I totally agree with you about the political side of thing. My argument would be though that a more political savvy and confident president would use this as the opportunity to hedge against all the things that possibly could be coming down the line. In other words, instead of pushing this off and dealing with it, you embrace this and you embrace the fact that, hey, we're going to be going through some difficulties right now. It's not my fault, but we're going to fight it. So again, this is where I see the lack of leadership from the president, not only on a sort of a, a, a practical level, but even politically, it was the wrong move in my mind. Now, in terms of the CDC and, and the FDA, my, my, my fear is, and again, this all, for me, this all is stems from the head at the top. We know, we know that Donald Trump fires people who disagree with them, fires them, gets rid of them. And I don't know how far that filters down. I would hope that doesn't go down to the CDC, but those are political appointments. They're political appointments. FDA, those are political appointments. Is it so isn't it, is it unreasonable to think that those people are thinking in the back of their minds, ah, I got to make sure I please the president. You just watch the press conferences. Watch the press conferences. I, I, I refuse to. I get you know, reports I, on those from my friends. <laughs> it's, and again, I've, I've said, I think. That's why you watch a, them. I, yeah, I think Pence is unbelievable in terms of how he's communicating. I think he's doing a great job. I don't think he's always level, but he's, you know, doing a great job. But every person who goes up there, you know, it's like we're in North Korea. They're talking about, oh, thanks to our great. I mean, give me a break. This said, this is a reflection of this president. And so I am not sure that that doesn't trickle down to the CDC and the FDA. I hope not, but I'm not sure it doesn't. That's where I would gotcha. come down on. What, uh, last, and then we'll <clears throat> we'll head out here. Um, how do you feel about uh, the response that uh, Congress and the Senate have, have come together and done a bunch of stimulus? Um, you know, yeah. I've seen some wacky, I, look, <clears throat> as me personally, um, I've, this is, this is not good for my business, mostly because who are you going to pay your, your rent? Are you going to pay your bills? Or are you going to pay your attorney? <laughs> nah, well, I, the, court, I, I, the courts are closed. And so there's really, I and got, then I see some of the reports of, you know, specific colleges are getting money. The IRS got a ton of money. Come on, just, just, you know, cut, cut the IRS for a while. Um, the, uh, the, the Kennedy Center is getting millions of dollars. I mean, this is ridiculous. What's what's your take on on what the well, stimulus is having? If I, well, okay. So let me start yeah. with the Kennedy Center. If if the cruise line gets bailed out, why shouldn't the Kennedy Center? I, I'm I'm not for for bailing out. So you okay, you're so exactly the the, 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 the I, I know your your point on the cruises completely. Yeah, agree. No, but just in general, let's let's not yeah. pick cruises. Why shouldn't the Kennedy Center also be involved? They they are also a company that provides a service and they've sure. been killed. Cool. So I don't I'm not concerned about that. Now, having said that, no, my, um, my question is what what did they do specifically over my my office? Why why oh. why, why them? Well, why Howard University specifically? It's it seemed weird. 
Well, Howard University is because they're a designated CD. They're a designated CDC site, okay. is my understanding. Okay. I mean, I think so anyway. The point is that this this you call it stimulus. I'll push oh, I, a little bad bit. bad wording. Sorry. In other words, you know, this is not a stimulus. It's a rescue package. Right. Here's what I think. I think it's um, we have to do it. But I think it's going to be. Um, so I'm not directly answering your question here because I don't have a good answer. In other yeah. words, there are a lot of, I, let, let me just address, there are a lot of um, companies and yours, it might be one example, that have just fallen right through the crack here. I think. Like, I'm how, sure that I'm sure I could get a loan or something like that. I mean, it's just, there's the, there's the unintended consequences, right? Of, of trickles all the way down to, you know, you, you want to talk about uh, what is an essential worker? Because have you ever heard of the iPencil? Uh, iPencil? Have you heard of that? No. Friedman had made a deal about it. Basically, um, you try to make a pencil from home, right? Well, what do you need? You need lead. Well, who's going to mine the lead? Who's going to do the wood? Da, 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 da. Video. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, and it goes on and on and on. And that is, that's kind of how our society is built. And we have not created a society since 08 or before of doing a lot of savings. So we're in a precarious situation. And so everybody's vital in a sense. So, the, so, you know, I, I come from the perspective where, you know, we may disagree on this. This is to me what the federal government is for emergencies. Okay. That that's in other words, I, so I'm not sort of philosophically opposed to this at all. Here's my concern. Here's my concern. My concern is, and by the way, this may not be a good concern, <laughs> Ultimately, but my, my worry is that we're going to enter a period of some fairly difficult economic waters ahead because my guess is there's going to be a lot of companies out there in three or four months. Let's say this is over in three or four months. We're going to say, you know what? We don't need half the a third of the workers we had. Right. We, we actually don't need them. We look how efficient we are. I think this is going to be a, an opportunity, you know, use that word you know, for what it is. Right, right, right. Where companies are say, "Wow, we can use Zoom. We can do this. We don't need to hire back all these people." And I think you're going to see one of the unintended consequences is you're going to have the stimulus package, which is going to make everybody feel good. Stimulus. And then once that, stimulus. Sorry, yeah. See. <laughs> right. And then once that goes away, and everyone thinks, "Oh, good, now I'll get my job back," companies are going to say, "You know, we survived actually pretty well with." not this many people. And I think you're going to see a little hit as the economy begins to adjust. Cause I think we're, I think uh, things are not going to get back to the way they were in terms of our economy. I think there's going to be a real shift. This shift has been something that has been, people kept saying all along, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, you know, technology and video conferencing, take education where I'm involved. You know, most of the prestigious education institutions only do online education as a, as a money grab, you know, they offer yeah, yeah, these things yeah. the they, in their actual courses. They would never do that. Well, that's about to change. And you know, I think the same apply to other businesses. Um, four kids uh, that I have. And uh, one of them missed no time. He's college and they just streamlined right. it. No big deal. Um, one of them, a right. freshman, she missed two days and they were streamlining. No big deal. The other one in high school and the other one in eighth grade, they have not got back. The schools are figuring things out. They're sending out, um, you know, and this has some public and private school uh, changes here. Um, but you know, just forethinking of, of what's going on. And the other ones are, 
they're they're partying it up. So we'll see what happens. Well, so at my at my at my school, we had uh, we closed on a Friday, like we sent out the message on a Friday, and we closed uh, all classes, canceled all classes for Monday and Tuesday. While we got our act together, had a couple of quick sessions on how to do stuff, and we had class going on Wednesday. Yeah, and so. And, and a lot of my students are saying, hey, this is pretty cool. Right. Well, that's, uh, that's a paradigm shift yeah. in education. Well, so if you don't. And I'm sure it's going to go down the other Right. So, so let's say, and, and I know you got to go here real quick. Um, so let's say you don't um, bail or you don't help out Boeing, who's, as an example, destroyed themselves with this 737 MAX problem yeah. in the first place. Um, maybe they don't um, survive to the same point where in a few months, they're not so streamlined because they, and they still need their employees. Right. I, I don't know. I'm just taking as an example, what your, your concern is you're going to give your, you're basically the government's going to now help out a bunch of these companies to sustain themselves just a little bit longer and then realize that they don't, or maybe them getting themselves in position to not have all these employees come back. So maybe that's a bad reason. I don't know. No, I'm, I'm sort of a, a little closer to where you are than you probably think when it comes to sort of ec- the economy. I'm not, you know, Bernie Sanders scared the you-know-what out of me, okay? Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> right. about that. Well, this is, I, a, this is he oh, and Greta Thunberg's uh, uh, what dream come true, it seems like. <laughs> More government, I know. There's a balance. I mean, we'll see. But anyway, we got to do this again sometime yeah. as, you know, after we see what's happened because, yeah. um, you know, things are in flux for sure. I really appreciate you coming on. So. Any last words on concern about balancing pandemic? I mean, I have friends who are, uh, you know, ready to call people out for going outside and other ones that don't care. So what's, what's your take and what's your last takeaway on this? I'm I'm sure you heard, I'm sure you've heard this. I'm sure people have heard this, but um, some physician or something from the UK said, you know, if you live, if you go about your daily business as if you have the, the coronavirus, meaning if you just, if every time you go out, you think I have it, I, I got to make sure I don't give it to that person. If everybody were to do that, you know, that that's a huge step. And of course we stay home as much as you can. Don't go out, et cetera. But you know, even when you do go, I don't think you have to not go out, you know, we're ordering out yeah. uh, takeaway we're trying to support some of our favorite restaurants. Right. We're doing that. I know people who aren't doing that. We are, you know what we are. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being as careful as I possibly can. Um, you know, living in a house with people who are healthy, but you know, in their seventies, yeah. we're being as absolutely as healthy as we possibly can, but also, you know, sort of trying to live some semblance of a normal life as much as we can. Right. Right. I appreciate it. Okay. Um, thank you once again for coming yeah. on the Between Two Wheels podcast. Okay, Jonathan, you. as always, one, uh, the doctor. Thank you. Good to talk to you. Take care. Bye. Bye.